Hello, and thanks for listening to Harold Shank's presentation entitled, Listen and Make Room. This is Josh Kincaid, Education Minister at Memorial Road Church of Christ in Oklahoma City, where Harold serves as an elder. When Harbor was canceled in 2020 due to the pandemic, Memorial Road filmed and posted Harold's presentation he had prepared. You can find the video of the presentation you're about to hear at Memorial Road's YouTube channel. Here is Harold Shank's presentation, Listen and Make Room. Most of us, I think, have been on a merry-go-round, or sometimes called a carousel. You know, there are different horses and, and little buggies and wagons, and uh, they go around in a circle, and some of them go up and down, and it's a delightful activity for children, and even for some of us adults uh, who like it. But it's also become a, a metaphor for perspective, perspective, because as you go around in a circle, what you see is constantly changing. And so your perspective changes. You see things uh, in a distance, and then suddenly they're close up, and then they're gone. And then they come around again in a little while. And so it represents uh, how our perspective in life changes. And also, uh, no one, no two people on the merry-go-round uh, share the same perspective. We all see something different as we go in this never-ending circle. Well, uh, this lesson tonight is a little bit about uh, perspective and about perhaps our need to change a perspective. In a sense, uh, for the last six, eight months, uh, our merry-go-round has slowed down. <laughs> and, and, and what we're seeing is, is often the same thing. Day after day, we see the same uh, four walls of our house and, and, and the same limited number of people if we're sheltering at home or, or whatever we're, we're doing. And so our perspective has, uh, has slowed, our merry-go-round has slowed down. And, and, and that's caused us perhaps to turn a little bit inward, focus on how we're going to survive this, how am I going to make it another week. And so uh, tonight's thinking out of Matthew 21 is really an attempt to get us to uh, change our perspective and think in a bigger way again. Lawrence Steger was professor at Harvard University for a number of years in, in the theology, ancient Near Eastern studies department. And he uh, was not only a professor, but he, but he also excavated at a, a number of sites. And one of them was Ashkelon in, um, in Israel. It's located on the coast, uh, just south of Tel Aviv, uh, not far from the Gaza Strip. And, uh, and, and Steger and his team excavated in, in Roman Ashkelon, uh, right during the time of Jesus and, and afterwards. And, and they found uh, an area of Ashkelon that had, had been the wealthy part of town. Uh, there were a number of villas, mansion-like buildings, and then they also found a bathhouse. And, and underneath this bathhouse, they found an ancient sewer, S-E-W-E-R. And sometime during the Roman period, the sewer had become clogged, quit working. And so the archaeologists wanted to find out well, what, what clogged up the sewer, what plugged it up. And so they dug down, cleaned out the pipe. And they found that the sewer in Ashkelon in Roman times had been plugged by the remains of 100 human babies. Now, that shocking story only confirmed what we already knew about Roman history from Roman literature. And it refers to a process called exposure. 
when a child was born in a typical Roman household, in many cases, uh, they didn't name the child for the first eight days. And during that time, the head of the household, usually the father, would decide whether or not they were going to keep the child. And after eight days, if they decided that we'll keep this baby, they would give the baby a name. But if they decided they were not going to keep the baby, they would take the child to a designated spot, usually the trash heap outside of town, and they would leave their baby there. They would expose the baby to the elements, to starvation, to wild animals, even slave traders who would come by, gather up these children, raise them as, as slaves or sell them as slaves. And, and, and the criteria by which the head of the household would decide whether or not to keep the child was varied. Sometimes it was the child's gender or uh, the, the uh, legitimacy of the child, the health of the baby. Sometimes how many children are already in the family or the economic status of the family. But there was one thing about exposure in the Roman period that was absolutely for sure. And that was exposing your baby was completely legal. No one got arrested. No one was taken to prison for, for, for exposing their child. Well, those two stories, I think, raise a number of questions for us. The story about uh, the pipe in Ashkelon and the Roman process of exposure makes us wonder, uh, what were these parents thinking? How, how could a mother, how could a father just leave their child out on the trash heap to the elements and to wild animals? What was going through their heads? And, and when did that process end? And what caused the, the awful process of exposure to come to an end? Well, there are answers to those questions, and, and we'll get to them momentarily. But first of all, I think we need to update that story and think about children in our own time. Jonathan Coltsoll is an American author, wrote a book back in 1995 called Amazing Grace. Coltsoll lives in New England, American author, journalist. He's Jewish. And back in 1995, in that era, he moved to New York City and spent two years there. And, and during the two years, he did nothing but talk to children, interview children, trying to find out about the lives of children. And Coastal wrote, he said, the most important thing I've ever done in my adult life was those two years of talking to children. He lived in a, a, a neighborhood in the Bronx called Mott Haven, M-O-T-T, Mott Haven. At that time, it was the poorest congressional district in the United States. And the children he interviewed uh, came from uh, poor families, often dysfunctional families. They lived in tenement buildings that were overrun by rats. They went, walked to school on streets that were patrolled by drug lords. They went to schools where the restrooms didn't work. They had older brothers and fathers who were imprisoned. They, they were the poorest of the poor. They were, they were dysfunctional families. And Colso called the book Amazing Grace because he said, I expect to hear words of grace from adults, but I didn't expect to hear words of grace from, from children like these. That's what I heard. And Colso says two things in the book that have kind of haunted me as I've thought about them. One is he said, uh, these children that I've interviewed, these children do not yet know that their nation does not love them. 
And the other thing that he said was, America does not listen to its children. But there's a story in Matthew 21 uh, about listening to children. And it's, uh, it's a story where we, where we meet children. We, we expect the children to be, to be out playing, but instead the children are talking about amazing grace. And we expect the adults to be talking about amazing grace, but the adults are complaining about the children. The story in Matthew 21 is told in the context of the triumphal entry of Jesus, and that story is told in all four accounts of the gospel. It's one of the most famous of the stories of the life of Jesus. And, and yet tucked into this story are two verses about children, and they're found only here, only in Matthew, nowhere else in the whole Bible. And I, I've been a preacher all my life, and I didn't know that story was there until recently. And, and when I found the story, it sort of haunted me and it stayed with me. What begins in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, Jesus wakes up in the morning in Bethpage, Bethany, walks to the top of the Mount of Olives, sends ahead, and gets a colt or a donkey. His disciples put their clothes on the back, and Jesus mounts it and rides down the hill, side of Mount of Olives, into the city of Jerusalem, into the streets. And, and people begin to gather, and, and they add their clothes to the path that Jesus is following, and they throw down palm leaves, and Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, to the acclaim of all these people. And once Jesus enters into Jerusalem, uh, we, we get uh, these two verses. And Jesus entered the temple of God and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold uh, pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. So Jesus made the triumphal entry. And he comes into Jerusalem, goes into the temple, and there's a large courtyard of the temple, and it's been commercialized. It's, it's been turned into a shopping mall. It's filled with people buying and selling. And, and so Jesus is upset by what he sees. And so he reaches back to Isaiah 56, and he quotes the prophet. He said, this is to be a place of prayer. And then almost standing exactly where Jeremiah was standing in Jeremiah 7, when Jeremiah delivered his temple sermon, he quotes Jeremiah said, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. And Jesus is upset and he cleans the temple and he chases out those who've commercialized it and turned it into a place where you can't hardly even get in. And then this verse, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And Jesus healed them. And we almost think that perhaps uh, Jesus had talked to the lame and the blind, perhaps even the children who come next, and they had said, you know, we'd like to go into the temple, but we can't get in. It's just filled with all these shops and stores and people buying and selling and exchanging money. We just can't get in. And Jesus heard that. And so he, he cleansed the temple. And once it was freed of its, of its uh, commercialization, the lame and the blind came into the temple. 
And Jesus caused the blind to see and healed the lame. And then these verses. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he, Jesus, did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they, the chief priests and the scribes, were indignant. And they, the chief priests and scribes, said to Jesus, Do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast brought forth perfect praise? So Jesus uh, leaves that morning from Bethpage, goes to Bethany, gets on a donkey, rides into the city of Jerusalem, goes immediately to the large courtyards of the temple, finds them over, overwhelmed with shoppers and buyers and sellers, cleanses the temple, the lame and the blind come in, and then the children, the children come into the temple. And the children are in the temple shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna to the son of David! Well, that word Hosanna is a striking word. It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word. It's, it's like our word amen or our word hallelujah, which we use almost every service. It's, it's a word that we've taken the Hebrew letters and made them into English letters. But, but Hosanna is, is different from amen and, and, and hallelujah because, first of all, it's hardly ever used in the Bible. It's used in this story about the triumphal entry and the children. And once or twice in the Old Testament, never again. Whereas amen and hallelujah are all through the Bible. And, and, and we seldom use this word in our churches. We more often, more likely to say hallelujah or amen. In fact, most of us may not even know what the word Hosanna means. But it's a Hebrew word. It means save us, I pray. Save us, I pray. Save us, I pray. So the children came into the temple once it had been cleansed, and, and they're in the temple crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us, I pray, O Son of David. Save us, I pray, O Son of David. And people have wondered if this word was so rare, so infrequently used, how'd the children know it? Well, some have proposed that these children in the temple shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, that, that they were on the sidelines as Jesus made his triumphal entry. <laughs> and if you read the four counts of the triumphal entry, there are seven different things that the people appraising Jesus say, and one of them is Hosanna to the son of David. And so they, they argued that the children were there on the side of the Mount of Olives. They followed Jesus into the temple, watched him cleanse the temple, and, and they just repeated what they heard. They were saying Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, I pray, O son of David. Others say no, no. These children in the temple are the sons and daughters of the blind and the lame. And the little boy brings his, his blind father to the temple every day so he can receive alms and, 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 and be ministered to and, and have somebody pray over him. And the little girls come and bring their aunt or their, their mother into the temple so that, so that they can be, be ministered to. And so uh, these children coming to the temple every day with their parents, their blind and lame uh, relatives, heard this line, Hosanna to the Son of David. And now they're in the temple shouting it. Others say, God just sent these children to the temple. 
with this message to all the world. Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us, I pray, the Son of David. Well, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, were the people who ran the temple. They set the hours that was open, decide which priest would serve. They controlled the budget. They had the order of service. They were in charge. And, and when they saw, when they heard the children in the temple shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David, the text says they were indignant. The religious leaders were indignant. Now, that's an interesting word. The word indignant is used five times in the New Testament. And it's used twice in connection with children. The other time is in Mark chapter 10. Remember the story, uh, the children want to come to Jesus, but, but the disciples are keeping the children away from Jesus. And Jesus becomes indignant because the children are being kept away from him. And now the children are coming to Jesus. And the religious leaders are indignant that the children are coming to Jesus. And so these religious leaders turn to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, do you hear the, the children shouting Hosanna to the son of David? Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus, are you listening to the children? And in one of the clearest statements in all of the Bible, Jesus says, yes. I hear the children saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. I hear what the children are saying. I hear, I am listening to the children. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 8. It says, um, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies. And so the psalm begins by saying that we can see the majesty of God in the things God's made, a sunrise, a snowstorm, a seashore. And then it goes on to say that we can also hear the majesty of God in what children say. And it's, it's almost as if Jesus is putting the question of the religious leaders back to them. Do you hear the children saying Hosanna to the son of David? Are you listening to the children? Are you religious leaders? Are you hearing what the children say? What's well, interesting what uh, commentators do with these texts. Some, some commentators say, well, uh, this story about children, it couldn't have happened because uh, children would, certainly would not have known the word Hosanna. It was much too uh, difficult, much too obscure word. They would not have known that this story didn't take place. And others say, well, the children weren't allowed in the temple. This whole story just couldn't have happened. Others say, well, that word children in Psalm 8 doesn't mean children. It means those are weak in the faith. Seems we're still trying to silence the children. And so um, what do we do with this story as Christians? We're Christians. The word Christian means Christ-like. We want to be like Christ. And so here we have, I think, an important story about what Christ was like. We want to uh, be the body of which he is the head. Well, here's a good example of what the head did. Are we as a body going to do what the head did? Uh, we're, we're told 22 times in the gospel to, 
by Jesus, follow me, walk in his footsteps, Peter said. Well, here we have a picture of Jesus walking. Are we going to walk in his footsteps? Those of us gathered here want to be the church of Christ. Well, here's what Christ is like. Do we want to be his church? Well, I think Jesus really, really does two things here. First of all, he listens to children. He hears what they're saying. He heard them saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, I pray, O son of David. Jesus heard that. And perhaps even heard them say they couldn't get into the temple. Don't have that written down, but that seems reasonable. And so Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the King of Kings, listen to children. And then he makes room. He cleanses the temple so there's a place for them to come in. And he's with them. And he often took them into his arms. He made room. He listened, and he made room. He listened, and he made room. Jesus listened to children, and he made room. And perhaps that's a good mantra for us to think about. For those of us who are parents and have children, or grandparents, or those of us who are responsible for uh, children in some way, teachers, preschool, babysitting, we might ask ourselves, do I listen to make room for children? Do I listen, not, not just to their request for a piece of candy, but do, am I listening to their spiritual cries? Am I listening to what they're saying about their souls and about God? And then are we making room, not, not just a bedroom in the house, but, but are, they, are they really part of the family? Are they, are, are they really part of our spiritual walk together? And perhaps as a church, it's, it's a good question to ask normally. Uh, we listen and make room to children. We, we have Sunday school for children. But as a church, do we, we, do we really listen to the children? Are, are they part of the discussion of the leadership? Are, are they, are they uh, considered in the making of the budget? And I know we have classrooms for children, but, but do we make room in our church calendar? We, do we really make room for children? And perhaps the most daunting thought is the thousands of the thousands of children who live around our homes and around our buildings, around our church building. Most of those churches from what Phil tells, most of those families from what Phil tells us, they, they don't go to church. They're, they're not getting any theological or biblical tra training. Are we listening to those children? Are, are we willing to hear what they're saying? Are we seeking out ways to hear their spiritual requests? Are we willing to make room for children who are different from us in our own community? Listen and make room. As I read this story, I thought, this is my story. I grew up um, in a totally unchurched home. I think we went to church two or three times when I was a child. And I don't ever remember my father or mother praying. We didn't pray at mealtime. Um, I didn't see my Parents open a Bible or read the Bible. No one tucked me in at night with a prayer and a Bible story. I just grew up in an unchurched home. And, and I remember as, as a child, fifth, sixth, seventh grader, having all these spiritual questions. I was asking about life and about God and about spiritual things, and I didn't know where to get an answer. And, and as I look back on it, it was almost as if someone 
had talked to uh, two or three people and, and, and asked them, are you listening to that little boy? Do you hear what he's saying? Are you listening to him? There was Mildred Stutzman. <laughs> she was the wife of a local cabbage farmer. Uh, and and I, one summer I was in her vacation Bible school class. We always went to vacation Bible school because we had so many children in the home, I guess. And, and after uh, vacation Bible school, we, we were never invited to church. I always thought, you know, the Shank kids were good enough for VBS, but not good enough to come to, the, to church. But after my sixth grade VBS, uh, Mildred took me aside, Mildred Stutzman, the teacher. and She said, I have a class on Sunday morning, meets in the same room, same age children. Would you be willing to come? Well, I didn't go to church, didn't do anything on Sunday morning. And so I said, yes, I'll come. We studied the book of Genesis. Well, Mildred Stutzman listened to me. She heard what I was saying in that vacation Bible school class, and she knew that there was a little seeker right there. And then she made room. And, and a couple of months after being in her class on Sunday morning, she took me aside again and she said, she said, would you, after church one Sunday, would you be willing to come to our house for lunch? I was amazed. I, I was just a poor kid from the neighborhood, wore, wore hand-me-down clothes and torn britches. And she, they were wealthy. She invited me to her house. Mildred Stutzman listened and made room. And then that little church hired a new minister, his name was Ray Beggs, and we lived in the neighborhood uh, with that church, and the parsonage was not too far from our house. And I don't know what the first thing Ray Beggs did when he arrived in our little community, but the first thing I know about was he came down to our house. It was under construction and uh, never was finished while we lived there. And he knocked on the door and he said, um, I'm starting a Wednesday night class for teenagers. I was in seventh grade then. Would you be willing to come? Well, somehow Ray had listened to me. Someone had said, do you know what that little boy in the neighborhood is thinking? And then he started class, made room. And not long after that, went to Christian camp. And there I met uh, the preacher from one of the big churches in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Larry Van Steenberg. And I, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. But, but he took me aside at camp. And I remember we would talk and I asked questions and, and he would listen to me. And then after camp was over, I got a letter in the mail, and it was from Larry Van Steenberg, and he said, would you be willing to come down to Pittsburgh and stay with us for about a month this summer? He listened, and he made room. Well, I don't know where it would, I would be today if it hadn't been for Mildred Stutzman and Ray Beggs and Larry Van Steenberg. But I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. O.M. Baki, that's a, a name, two initials, O.M., and then his last name is Baki, B-A-K-K-E. Uh, Phil mentioned him in a sermon oh, months ago. He's a, a Norwegian theologian. He's married, has three children. And uh, he is a church historian, and his area of expertise is uh, Roman backgrounds to the early church. And he talks about how uh, the Romans aborted babies uh, during the time of Jesus in the early church. And they used uh, little children for sex slaves. And then he talks about the whole thing of exposure, of how a Roman family, when a child was born, before they named the child, would, would often decide not to keep the child and would 
Just leave the child on a trash heap outside of town, expose it to the elements and the wild animals. And Bakke explores that in, in, in Roman literature. And he also talks about uh, why the process of exposure came to an end. And, and the answer is really in the title of his book, When Children Became People. And Bakke argues that it was because of Jesus Christ that things in the Roman Empire changed. When Jesus listened and made room, then the process of abortion and, and uh, sex slavery with little children and ex exposure gradually came to an end. But they were hard practices to, to stamp out. They were deeply ingrained in the culture. And, and, and they still continued. And finally, in the third Christian century, there was a Roman emperor, Constantine. And things began to change. And then one of his successors was Valentinius. Valentinius began to rule in 364 AD. And on March the 5th, 374 AD, Valentinius, Roman emperor, Christian, signed an edict that made exposure illegal in the Roman Empire. And it was because of Jesus Christ and the way he treated children. Well, the need, the desire to get rid of children was still there. And so what happened was Roman citizens that didn't want their children, instead of leaving them on the trash heap outside of town, which was now illegal, they started leaving their children in the doorways of church buildings because they knew the Christians would take care of those children. And so listen and make room. Thanks so much for listening. This is Josh again. I'd like to follow up by giving you four ways to advance the cause of children. First, Memorial Road has many teaching resources for children and associated ministries. Visit mrcc.org children and find the Curriculum section to see our options for preschool and elementary children's curriculum and activities. Second, spend some time learning about Trust-Based Relational Intervention, also known simply as TBRI. This was developed by the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And you can find their website at child.tcu.edu. TBRI helps adults connect with children who've experienced trauma, especially foster and adopted children. This information would be helpful to any congregation with an active children's ministry. Third, Harold has put this lesson on children, along with dozens more, in a book called Listen and Make Room, released in 2020 by ACU Press. The book was published with the support of Network 127, which is a consortium of the 60 child care agencies associated with Churches of Christ. You can find the book on ACU Press's website, Amazon, or any number of other booksellers. Finally, visit Harold's website at haroldshank.com to see additional lessons and presentations he has given on this subject, as well as a wide array of other resources.